Stories, fables, ghostly tales. We learn more about the residents in hell and garner further knowledge on how to survive in such a dangerous and accursed landscape. A child encounters a ghost that warns her of her doom. A book about dogs with a twist and two lovers whose twisted desires lead to a high-impact ending. Welcome, listeners, to your dose of creepy. A not-safe-for-work dose of creepy, that is. Today's stories are 100% not for children's ears. The themes covered in today's episode are rape, sexual abuse, dismemberment, animal cruelty, and extremely adult themes. Do not have your children listen to this episode. It is not for kiddies. As much as I love the listens, and it always pains me to ask listeners to skip an episode. If you've got kids in the room right now, skip this. Now, initially, this episode was going to have some not-safe-for-work Reddit stories, but I'm still polishing those stories up. So for now, they're on the back burner, but not forgotten. I have my turmeric and ginger latte at the ready. Strap yourself in for a one-way ticket to hell. All aboard. <laughs> How to Survive Hell Finale I have to leave you soon. If I'm to make the most of life on Earth, I'm afraid I'm going to have to skip town. While I've had plenty to keep myself entertained, this body isn't suitable for a run-in with the police. It's only a matter of time until some nosy neighbor thinks to pick up the phone. With the humidity over the past few days, Mummy and Daddy are already pretty ripe. Here's something you have to understand. Hell is a big place. I've given you fair warning about a few of the locations I myself have run into, and that will have to do. Even if I wrote a library's worth of novels solely dedicated to mapping out the distinct locations within this, I still couldn't tell you everything about the city. What I can do is give you a bit of information about some of the damned. The Slaughterman. Take a moment to think about all the celebrities you know. How many of them do you reckon would do well in this? Not many, I'll wager. Perhaps none. Fame and fortune on Earth doesn't count for shit when you're dead. Very few people are strong enough mean enough and downright psychotic enough to earn a reputation in hell. Those few who have what it takes are people you never want to meet. The Slaughterman is one of hell's legends. A huge bearded man with filed teeth, bloodshot eyes, and a foam on his lips. Rumor has it that the day he first emerged from a birthing sack, he was unlucky enough to land at the feet of a slaver tribe. Well, those tribesmen chuckled to themselves and readied their clubs and whips, only too happy to take some fresh meat captive. Outnumbered a dozen to one, naked, unarmed, and brand new to hell, most people wouldn't stand the chance. If you believe the stories, 
The slaughterman shrugged off the clubs battered against him, and the whips cutting into his flesh as though they were insect bites. He picked up the first slaver, put his hand into the man's mouth, and pulled his jaw right out of his skull. He moved on to another, then another, tearing them apart with his bare hands, until the survivors turned and fled. Nobody knows for sure who he was in life. I've heard theories though, the most popular one being that he was the berserker of Stanford Bridge. Supposedly, a single Viking held up the English army single-handedly. It didn't matter that he couldn't win, that he was outnumbered, that his enemies had better weapons and armor. He stood on that bridge and he fought. By the time he was brought down, he'd killed no less than 40 men. <sighs> I don't know how true any of this is. I've never seen the Slaughterman myself. But I don't fucking want to. What I can tell you for sure is that people don't become legendary in hell without good reason. I'd guess that the only one who knows the truth is the Slaughterman himself, and he isn't saying anything. Since the day he arrived in hell, he's only spoken once. The fleeing slavers heard it as the Slaughterman tore their tribe apart. Naked, bloody, and surrounded by corpses, the slaughterman looked up to the storm-wracked sky and bellowed a single word. Valhalla! The Hellhounds. How about a little story? I wasn't new to hell. I'd made myself some clothes and a wooden club, found shelter and a big slab of meat roasting over a campfire. The only thing I didn't have was a tribe. The area I'd been birthed in seemed slummy, even for Dis. All half-collapsed hovels and mud huts. Iron was scarce, barely enough to make myself a water bowl. All in all, not a good spot for a tribe. My plan was simple enough. I'd have a decent meal, carve myself a shiv or two in case I lost my club, then find somewhere more or less dry to sleep. After that, I'd set off to look for a tribe. Even the mildest tribe initiations result in a few scars and a broken nose, so I wanted to be as well rested as I could be. Sleep in hell is both vital and dangerous. There's a knack to finding somewhere that's simultaneously sheltered, hidden, and with access to an escape route. Even then, you never get more than a few hours at a time. In hell, the slightest suspicious noise should scare the shit out of you. A low, throaty growl definitely counts as a suspicious noise. I leapt out of my impromptu nest of skins and wood, raised my club, and returned the growl with my own one. A woman had crept into my building and was staring at me with dilated pupils. She looked to be in a bad way. Skinny? naked, and covered in weeping sores, her lips peeled back to reveal broken and jagged teeth. It took me all of a second to size her up. She'd been living rough for days or weeks. Judging from her protruding ribs and bloated stomach, she was well on her way to dying of starvation. So, she was weak, hungry, and didn't even have a weapon. 
I've already eaten, I said, relaxing a little and giving my club a few practice swings. No sense in letting you go to waste, though. I took a step towards her, and she bolted. Just turned around and scampered away in a strange animal gait. I took off after her, certain that I could outpace her. Even if there wasn't much meat on her, bones can still be useful. I chased her through a few streets, struggling to keep my footing on the muddy ground. When I finally got close enough to swing my club, she stopped dead. The suddenness of it caught me off guard, and I tripped over her, losing my club as I fell. She howled in triumph, a sound that was echoed by a dozen other throats. That day, I learned two things about the Hellhounds. The people who lose their minds and become little more than beasts after enduring centuries in Hell. Firstly, they have the necessary animal cunning to hunt as a pack. Secondly, human teeth and fingernails are perfectly capable of ripping flesh from the bone. The Surgeons Modern doctors rarely thrive in hell. Academia and reliance on technology doesn't leave you in the best state to endure the endless violence and brutality. There are exceptions, though. The people who learn to sew their friends back together amid the machine gun fire of the Somme. Shamans, witch doctors, and holy men who endured famine and warfare. Survivalists who knew how to cauterize their own wounds in the middle of a forest. Those are some of the people who might just be strong enough to ply their trade to the damned. After all, working knowledge of basic medicine is just one of those things that's beyond a lot of the meatheads roaming dis. Most of Hell's surgeons find the tribe as soon as they're able. Their tools might be crude, but they soon learn to make do. Flint, slate, and shards of glass serve as their scalpels. They make thread from human hair and needles from slivers of iron. Whenever a member of the tribe has an infected sore, a surgeon will be the one to drain the pus. A tribal surgeon could well save your life, but they'll do it without anesthetic. Then there are the freelance surgeons, the people who try to go it alone. They make themselves a uniform, the theory being that the damned will recognize them if they look alike. It doesn't really work, but then, you can't expect much logic from people who've lost count of how many times they've died. For one thing, fashion changes over time. I'm told the freelancers wore headdresses and bone necklaces at one point. The current trend is to mimic Venetian plague doctors by donning a beaked mask and wearing a long coat of fire-blackened skin. Freelancers are rare. Very rare, in fact. You'll see thousands of the damned for every freelance surgeon to come across. When you do come across one, be fucking careful. Firstly, surgeons don't get a free pass in hell. The damned are more likely to attack a freelancer than they are to barter their tools, clothes, or slaves in exchange for his services. You can't be certain if the man in the bird mask and the black coat is really a surgeon or somebody who murdered a surgeon to take his clothes. Perhaps they made the outfit themselves in order to draw the weak and the wounded close. Advertising doesn't always work as intended in this. If the freelance turns out to be genuine, that doesn't give you an excuse to drop your guard. 
freelance surgeons aren't usually the most stable people. Put another way, freelancers are usually sadistic fucking psychopaths. Sure, they might stitch you back together and send you on your way. They might also decide it would be more interesting if they stitched you to somebody else. They might think paying an arm and a leg for their service should be taken literally. They might turn out to be some wannabe serial killer who's yet to find their way to Skin Street. For each freelancer trying to do a tough job in a tougher place, there are a dozen or so Mengalese who want to try out their toys on somebody too injured to fight back. Stick with your tribe surgeon if you're lucky enough to have one. Failing that, learn to patch up your own wounds. Trust me, if you're able to read, you've already got the intellectual advantage over a lot of Hell's residents. Universal education is pretty recent. Freelancers aren't worth the risk. Cambions. I'll be honest with you here. I don't know if Cambions actually exist. What I'm going to tell you is something that somebody else told me. It's up to you to decide if it's true or not. Personally, I really fucking hope it isn't. People rape one another in hell. It happens a lot. If you're not strong enough, it'll happen a lot to you. And the good news for the ladies out there is that the damned men fire blanks. You'll almost never be impregnated. I say, almost never. Because... If you believe the stories, there's an incredibly slim chance that a couple of those little swimmers will be awake and looking for an egg. Just to put this in perspective, we're talking conjoined twins levels of unlikeliness here, and that's just conception. The chances of a pregnant woman surviving the full nine months in hell are probably conjoined triplet levels of unlikely. You're talking about a perfect storm of beating the odds here. But this is eternity. A monkey randomly mashing keys on a typewriter will eventually produce the complete works of Shakespeare if it goes at it for eternity. The result of that perfect storm, of those monkeys with their typewriters, is a cambion. A child conceived and born in hell. I'm not saying they exist, okay? I'm saying I've met somebody who swears it's true, and that he's seen a cambion for himself. You see babies in their birthing sacks from time to time. Usually it's just a body. Occasionally you'll see one drowning. Most of the damned ignore them. They wouldn't survive a day on the streets. Even if you could afford your full attention to them, better to leave them be. It's only the real fucked up people who cut through the sacks and... Yeah, I'm not going to finish that thought. I'm getting sidetracked. So this Cambion, who may or may not have existed, apparently looked like a normal child. It cried its shit and it sucked its mother's tits just like a regular baby would. The mother was part of a tribe and they'd been able to protect her throughout her pregnancy. Couldn't tell you why. Curiosity, perhaps? When it was born, the whole tribe gathered around to have a look. Among them was the man who told me this story. Somebody I'd met years later and eventually kill. This man cut the baby's cord and lifted it up to his face. Every man in the tribe had raped the mother at one point or another. 
and he wanted to see if the child looked anything like him. The Cambion looked like a normal child in every way but one. Its eyes were dead, lifeless like a doll's. Sure, the kid was alive. It wriggled and cried like a normal baby. Those eyes were wide open though, not scrunched like a newborn's eyes should be. Wide open, empty doll's eyes. If that story is true, I don't blame the tribe for killing the child. Something like that shouldn't exist. Right, I'm done. I have to go. This is the point where people like to have things nicely tied up. A few dragons slain, a few maidens saved. At the very least, you could expect some kind of moral lesson to think over. I think that in this case, that sort of thing is missing the point. There are no dragons to slay, no morals to learn. We do not live happily ever after. There's no grand revelation, no clever twist, no purpose, no redemption, no hope. There's only eternity among our own kind. And this concludes How to Survive in Hell by Rat Rotted. Created by Force The little girl ran hurriedly along the path in the darkness. Tall, black, towering trees raced past on both sides. A dirty shirt acted as her dress, billowing in the wind. She ran barefoot, the gravel dug into her skin like nails. Only the street lamps illuminated her path. Tears flew from the corner of her eyes as her breathing gradually became faster. She sprinted like a wild deer, desperately trying to outrun a hunter's arrow. She lost her balance, and she regretted it big time. In that split second, as she tripped over her own feet, all she could think of was the pain she would now have to endure as a result of her carelessness, she would have to run with not only sore frozen feet, but bleeding knees and scarred elbows too. Perhaps a bruised chin. Just before she touched the ground, a cold arm slid underneath her. It suspended her firm and steady, preventing her from scraping her knees. Startled, she stood up and turned to her saviour. A woman, young and very beautiful. Her skin was outstandingly pale, and blended in with her golden hair, which was long and straight like her own. Her body was almost transparent. She seemed to shine like a bulb, emitting a white glow wherever she walked, acting as a light source. The girl's heart started to race as her eyes moved down the woman's body. The glowing lady's previously white blouse had been stained with blood and the patch of material covering her stomach was light brown. The stains dripped down onto her dress. She also had a wound in her neck and several gashes on her face. A bloody mess, but still beautiful. Serene. The woman looked at the child's shocked face. For a tender moment, she had the urge to ruffle the girl's hair, to cuddle and embrace the girl to tell the poor soul that everything would be fine in the end, but she kept her emotionless stern facade. What are you doing out by yourself here in the cold, young one? Where are your parents? 
The girl shuddered. The lady's voice echoed. It was graceful, like an opera singer's. Are you a ghost? Don't worry. You don't have to be scared of me. I won't hurt you. If you tell me what's wrong, I might be able to help you. Please help me. I'm running away from Daddy. Please don't tell him, or he'll get me. The woman frowned, suddenly concerned. Why are you running away from him? What has he done to you? He he hit me. He locks me up and makes me clean stuff for him. The worst thing is, sometimes at night he comes and lies on me. It hurts. It really does, and I'm scared. I ran away before, but he caught me, and he beat me real hard. Now I'm gonna try again. She squeezed a few more tears from her eyes, then wiped them away. The woman cringed, anguished. She knelt down, their eyes now level. What about your mother? I don't know anything about my mummy. I never met her. I once asked Daddy about her. Daddy says she was a sobby little tweed. I don't know what happened to her or where she is. The girl received a sympathetic tap on the shoulder. Don't go any further. What? I can't go back. If Daddy sees, go back. You have to. The forest stretches dozens of miles along here, and you won't make it to the police station or even the town by morning. Your daddy will drive out here in his car. He will be ten times faster than you, and he will be looking for you. He will find you. But, quick, follow my advice. Go back now, before it's too late. Maybe he'll never know you even came out. She understood the ghost lady's logic and nodded. But will I ever escape him? Will I ever be able to get away? Don't be afraid. I'll help you escape. But you need to remember to come back here tomorrow at midnight exactly. Will you be here? Yes, and I'll help you then. Um, thanks. The girl smiled with slight relief and nodded. By the way, what happened to you? Me? Well, let's just say I died five years ago. So you are a real ghost? How did you die? It all started when I fell in love with a man. I thought he was kind. He treated me well at first, but then he started to control me. He hit me, spat at me, and called me all sorts of names. He raped me. It means he lay on me when I didn't want him to. Like your daddy lay on you. I got pregnant. I never wanted a child. But my parents wouldn't let me have an abortion. I gave birth. Then... She paused, sighing. You're young, and I shouldn't be telling you these things. It's coming to morning, and you better go. Otherwise your daddy might know you ran away. Take care of yourself and don't be afraid anymore. The girl nodded in thanks and ran off into the distance. The woman watched her, wiping away a tear from her eye, in sorrow and disappointment. Hey! The woman looked up. She was glad to see that the girl didn't seem as tense as before. She walked over and placed her hand on the girl's shoulders, comfortingly. Her taxi was parked behind her. It was invisible except for the glowing white sign on its roof. I'm glad to see you're safe. Did your daddy hurt you yesterday? 
Did he find out you'd left the house? Nope, she said sternly, shaking her head. He didn't notice a thing. He just told me that tomorrow I would be going with him to the forest. He didn't tell me why. The woman was suddenly alarmed. It's... it's very good that you won't be. I'm going to get you out of here today. A cab came along this road in the morning. I stopped it and told the driver to wait here for someone. You should have seen the look on his face. He was dead, terrified. He did as he was told and waited all day for you. So remember to thank him. She handed the girl 30 bucks. That's for the journey. And remember, don't talk to strangers. Just tell him you want to go to the children's care home in the town center and he'll take you there. Make sure you behave well and don't ever come back here again. Do you understand? Thank you so much. The girl smiled with happiness and hugged the lady, not expecting the response the ghost tensed up, but then relaxed again. The girl laughed. So since I'll never be seeing you again here, I wanted to know the rest of your story. How did you die? If you really want to know, the man I loved, he murdered me. He wanted to keep me quiet. He never got caught. But my spirit still lingers on, so I'll never be silenced. Why don't you go back and take revenge on him, like the ghost in the storybooks? I can't leave this place to get him. But now you mention it, if he does walk past here, I might not just waste the chance. The lady winked. I used to be scared of ghosts, but I think they're actually quite cool. If they're all nice like you, then I'm not scared of them anymore. All right, goodbye, young one. One more question before I go. Fine, bring it on. What's your name? I want to remember you, but I don't want to think of you as the ghost lady every time. I'm Susan. She paused as the girl began to walk away from her. Take good care of yourself and never give up. Happiness is a door in the world of life. The key to that door is freedom. The girl got into the cab and paid the driver. She waved at Susan through the window, smiling as she finally escaped the prison she had been trapped in all her life, heading forwards towards a new future. A happy and hopeful adulthood. Susan started to cry again. I'm Susan, young one, she whispered after the taxi. Susan the sobby little tweed, stabbed to death by a heartless thug in the forest five years ago. That girl just had been spared from the same gory fate. It's funny how history repeats itself, Susan thought, as she watched the taxi disappear over the horizon. Dogs, do's, and don'ts. I'm not much of a book lover, because they never really interested me at all that much. All I really love is dogs, because they are just so cute and fluffy. They truly are man's best friend. Well, my mother and father want me to start reading, so they try to find me a book on dogs. Makes sense, doesn't it? The thing is, though, there aren't many bookshops in town, or anywhere near. And my parents are fervent technophobes. I would never be able to convince them to buy some stuff on the web about it. However, as it turned out, the local library was closing down. 
but it was expected as it was creepy and condemned. But they were giving books away for free. One book in particular caught my parents' eyes, a brightly coloured book called Dogs Do's and Don'ts. It looked in pristine condition, despite being printed in 1985. My parents brought it home and gave it to me. I was a little apprehensive at first, but it was only 100 pages, so I eagerly accepted. It was pretty simple, really. The first 50 pages are do's, and the last 50 pages are don'ts. On the first day, I got to page 30, and it was great. There were a few paragraphs of text on each page, including a step-by-step -step guide and some helpful tips. Also, there were some really detailed illustrations, and a smiling man demonstrating what to do on each page in a photo. Some of the things in here were really useful. Perfect foods, games to play, and tricks to teach dogs. Eventually, I got to page 49, but then got tired, so I went to sleep. The next morning, I got up and picked up the book. I was desperate to read the don't section, but throughout the day, things just kept popping back up, so I waited until it was night. I laid in my bed and opened the book, however, I wish I hadn't. The book had the same smiling man, and the same illustrations. But what they were depicting was truly vile. One was a dog being pulled inside out through its anus, another was the smiling man fucking the dog, and another was the man boiling the dog with the same sick smile. I felt like I was going to be sick, but at the same time I felt compelled to read every last page. As I went along, it got worse. The smiling man was pulling a dog's eyes out and eating parts of it still smiling. Skinning was depicted as well. Not only that, there were tortures that only the most insane and twisted man could possibly think up. I was so relieved that I was finally on page 99. I was so glad because once I had finished this fucked up book, I would get rid of it forever. I was just finishing a section on some sort of marrow removal when I turned to page 100. So glad to think that after this page, it would finally be over. Then I saw what was on the last page. A blank template with the words, Add your own don't section. Demi and Jano it was late at night, or early in the morning, however you wish to look at it. Slightly foggy, chilly yet warm, and an over-starry sky. A scent of morning dew filled the air. Twas late spring, June 5th to be exact. The streets of this fairly big city were dimmed to a rather rare dimness that really sends the blackness to a beauty that gets taken advantage of all too often. He messaged her after months without contact. His message read a simple... I miss you. These two people had this sort of understanding between each other, a bit of a voodoo, if you may. Because no matter the distance, nor the thought, it was as if a bond let them into each other's minds at any time. I suppose you could say they truly were soulmates. I am an anal being and I tend to fall off topic, so please bear with me. She replied, almost instantaneously. What do you want? Honestly, I would have expected more of a deeper saying from her because of the situation. But hey, it was probably just a mask of what she was really thinking. She had a history of doing such things in the past that I would consider a pre-vocalic, or in this case written, subconscious defense mechanism. 
that filters what she says in order to protect herself from what she would consider to be heartbreak. What she was about to read though was going to make her cry. I love you, Jano. I want to reunite us. I will make sure it's your fantasy. Just please, baby, do this for us once. I don't want to live through this anymore. I know I've been an asshole and I don't deserve this chance, but sweetheart, you do. You deserve the future we can and will have, and I will do everything I can to make your fantasy come true. After she read the message, she sent a crying emoticon followed by, I can't meet you right now. Please, right now, I miss you so much, and this is my fantasy. Just talking to you is all I need to be happy. But my heaven is in your arms. This isn't the first time a conversation this instantly touching has happened between these two. They've actually once had an amazing relationship, but always there was some kind of childish thing that set them apart, which is quite the sorrowful story in itself, but that's none of my business. I shall only recall my encounter with this young couple that knew what the tale of true love was. In a matter of five minutes, they were both ready to leave, and they arranged to meet up at a center point between them, which just so happened to be an old segment of train tracks that were not in service anymore. Although they had no idea of it when they left their homes, their doors closed simultaneously, almost as if it was meant to be. Across the city, two clicks of a latch happened at the same time. They met upon the train tracks as planned. When she saw him, she shouted out his name, Dami, and started running towards him. She had so much love in her heart and hope in her mind. He, however, just kept his head down, hood up and hands in his pockets. When she finally reached talking distance of him, she ran to give him a hug. He shrugged her off and said the following line, Please, don't say another word. I am going to make your fantasy a reality as a final farewell bidding. Just do as I say and do not talk. This frightened her and she dropped her purse. Before I carry on, I just want to bring up a conversation these two shared exactly 15 months prior to this date when their relationship was strong. They had just finished making love and lied naked in their bed. She rolls onto his chest and looks him in the eyes and says, You know what would be awesome, Dammy? What, my love? He wondered. Before I tell you, you have to promise you will do it one day for me, because it might sound weird. Do you promise you will do it? Only if you promise you will love me forever. Sweetheart, I was already going to do that for you, baby boo. Okay, sweetheart, let's hear your proclamation then. One day, I know we're going to end up breaking up, and I want you to know I'm only yours. So one day, if you're about to lose hope on us, I want you to rape me. I'll enjoy it. It would never be rape from you, but it will remind me of all the good times we had before, and it would be a fantasy of mine come true. He looked at her strangely. Sure, I guess, but let's just hope we never break up. He then kissed her, and the conversation was over. He proceeded the commands he gave her by grabbing her by her sweater and ripping it down the center by the zipper. This scared her, but she never said anything. He continued and forced the shirt off her back, then ripped her bra off at the clips. She started to cry. He looked her in the eye and said, I love you. He then ripped open her pants, 
breaking the fly and button and tore them down to her ankles. He pushed her to the ground, slid her underwear off and forced her legs open. He undid his pants and moved in closer. She was crying and trying to whimper a weak no. Upon completion, he tried to hold the mess that was sitting on the cold stony rocks of the train tracks. He tried to comfort her, but she pushed him away. Jano has always known a relatively tough life. She's seen the worst of the crackheads and experienced firsthand what it's like to run into pedophiles, rapists, and so on. She learned one thing about staying safe. On the second attempt, Jano let Darmin get close to her. She cried in his arms for about five minutes. He cried as well and kept repeating, I'm so sorry. I... I... thought... I'm so sorry, I thought that was... Jaina reached into her purse on the ground beside her, and Dami's stutter was interrupted by a click, click, bang. His body fell loose and the man she proclaimed as her everlasting king lay in her lap. Another bullet flew moments later. Only this one did a ballet at point blank in the mind of little Miss Jano. There the lovers lay, their final rest together, interrupted only by the police. Yikes, some really dark and morbid tales today. Did they get under your skin? Which one is your favorite story of the lot? I know a lot of you will say, how to survive in hell, but what about the other three? I really enjoy the twists in these episodes, and totally did not expect the ending for Dami and Jano. Oh, and the book on dogs? That little twist at the end regarding not having a don't section. So all those terrible things the smiling man did to those dogs was considered a do in his books. Seems like that book would do well in Hell's Library. And lastly, that little girl that had a ghost flag down a taxi for her. I think that's the first time I've ever heard a ghost flag a taxi down to save a living child. So much originality in these stories. Now this Friday, I'm working on getting those not safe for work stories to you, plus more lovely tales from Tom Keithley and loads of no sleeps coming up as well. As always, only the best and unique for you brilliant listeners. If you have a couple of seconds to spare and want to help me, the authors, and the podcast out, spread this show to your pals. Word of mouth really helps. Alternatively, you can hop onto iTunes and subscribe, that helps a lot, and leave an iTunes review if you get a chance. It lets others know that this podcast is worth listening to. Those are the best ways to give me a high five, and you'll put a bounce in my step for weeks. <laughs> Have an awesome Wednesday day, my nightmarish Northern Hemisphere listeners, and a devilish night, my Southern Hemisphere horrors. As always, till next time.